This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. This meeting is being sponsored by the World Service Literature Committee for the distinct purpose of creating tapes and CDs for the tape and CD library. Those who wish to, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm grateful to be here today, and I'm grateful to be here abstinent another day at a time. Um, My story is one of, um, oh, a good childhood, but one of of frustration, just like a lot of other people have, but um, of a, a life of contented sobriety today that I'm very, very grateful for. Um... Coming into program gave me an opportunity to look back over my life. Um, I came in, uh, my top weight was 210 pounds, and I'm 80 pounds lighter than that. I weigh about 130 pounds and have for um, close to eight years. I have about eight years and a quarter of uh, abstinence a day at a time, truly a day at a time. Uh, Anyway, I was born the sixth child in a warm and loving family in Northern California, and um, the baby of the family for all those years. My oldest brother was 12 years older than me, so there was a lot of kids and a lot of um, a short period of time, actually. And um, um, born again, born into a warm and loving family. Um, my mom was 40 when I was born, so I kind of had an older mother for the years back then, 1947. And um, my mom looking back, really did have food issues um, that I kind of, I know I did inherit and did follow after her with that. But as a child, um, as a baby, being born, I was an over 10-pound, 10-and-a-half-pound baby to start with, so I started off pretty large. Um, And back then, the fashion was to make your own formula, and formulas were made out of, like, canned milk and and liquid sugar, and um, in between, I was fed sugar water. And... Boy, evidently, I, I really enjoyed it very well because I continued on for a lifetime of, of really going towards that. Um, as a child, a lot was going on in the family, a lot of chaos, a lot of happy chaos, a lot of uh, goodness. Um, we were given a very moral and, and upstanding you know, background and life together and uh, religious training, and you know, all of that was there in place. And um, the memories I have around food were um, the dinner bell going off every night, mom ringing the dinner bell, and us coming from all over the neighborhood and um, sitting around um, uh, a large, long table, all eight of us around the table, and um, you know the blue and white checkered tablecloth. I can still see it today, and Ma, uh, dad at the head of the table, and mom next to him, and and my little high chair right next to to them, and. Pretty soon I graduated to a bigger chair, but mom and dad always cutting up my food and taking care of me that way. But sitting there and kind of quietly watching the rest of the family do life and, you know, everyone else talking about their stories about life and um, what happened in the day and 
you know, jokes being told. And one sister would always tell her little story about the little fly and, the, you know, always ended in the same way. We'd all, you know, laugh. And so all of those things, sitting back and watching and, and not being a real, I don't remember being, being a troublemaker or a, um, I was probably a tattletale, but I, other than that, I was just kind of watching and waiting for my turn that I could be in that place and be in the limelight and that I would be the grown up and be a part of that. But what happened in life is that slow but sure, my oldest brother was 12 years older and in four years, you know, he was off to college. And then a year later, another one went off to college. And a couple of years after that, a few years after that, you know, his sister got married. And, you know, it's like, I never got that place at the table, you know, I never got the, the limelight. And But what I remember back then especially was the, the warmth and the love around that, and that's really what I relate food to. Um, I really want that same feeling of, of contentment, of security, of, you know, trust, of there was always food on the table. We were poor. I mean, we were on the poor side anyway, and... and uh, so mom had to go down to the, the housewives market way down in, in Oakland and, and buy specials and bring back that food and stretch it, you know, a long way. And we had a big room in the back where there was food stored. And uh, my brother, and, who was three years older than me, and I knew where that food was. And we would go sneak things that we really weren't supposed to because that was for the family. And um, there wasn't any accountability for that food. But we would go sneak the, the jello packets from back out there and sneak behind the sofa and uh, open it up, and he and I just eat that sugar, um, straight sugar out of that package. And, of course, Mom would be calling for us outside all over the place, and we wouldn't answer because we were there sneaking. And, I, I would, again, it was the beginning of my sneaking of getting that sugar that I, that I wanted so bad um, and then feeling bad about it, you know, when we did get caught. Um, what are you guys doing back there? <laughs> and you know, color all over our faces. <laughs> and, um yeah, that's some of the memories there. Memories also of, of the importance of sugar, of food, um, being little and pretty darn little, probably four and five and six years old. And my brother and I, he was more financially industrious than I was. And, uh, you know, we couldn't afford to buy candy. Mom would never bring home candy or whatever. But we would go throughout the neighborhood and we would take this old rusty wagon and uh, go knock on all the neighbor doors and ask them for back then in the in the early 50s as you could turn in um, soda pop bottles and for a small one you'd get two cents and for a, a quart size you'd get a nickel and back then I mean a penny you could get two pieces of candy for a penny and it, I mean that was big time thing to anybody had bottles and I can still to this day hear the squeak 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 of the of the the wagon and the clink 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 of the bottles as we walked those two and three blocks up to the, the Safeway store the big store up there and turning in those bottles and having my brother of course would get the money of the cash in the hand and we would go right to the to the candy counter and you know pick out our stuff and walk across the street to the dime store where they had even more varieties of the little penny stuff and you know, and then he would give me a few, I guess. <laughs> and um, just that that memory, again, related with food. Growing up in the neighborhood, too, what I remember most about that was um, what all of my friends in the neighborhood, I didn't have a lot of friends, there were two girls, actually, uh, what their mom served, what they were, had cooking. You know, I had one friend whose mom baked, and my mom didn't really bake from scratch. She would bring home baked stuff, but, and once in a while would bake. But mostly it was um, store-bought day old stuff 
But anyway, the neighbors, and, and I remember walking in there and smelling it and going in the kitchen, and, and I would never ask. It was never direct. I was kind of a little bit on the shy side, and so I would never directly ask, but I would say, Carol, Carol, why don't you see if we can have one of those? You know. And so we'd go into the kitchen, and the little the girl would ask, Mom, can we have one of those? And she'd say, okay, you can have you know, just one and take one. Well, one was never enough for me. And so I, in the beginning, when I first had this friend, is I would say, go see if we can have another one. And then I figured out that the mother would always say no. So I got sneaky where my friend would go down into the basement and be drawn on the chalkboard and the mom would be in the living room or whatever. And I would go in there and I would take another one and I would go into the bathroom and eat it. And sneaking it, you know, I was little. I was probably four or five, but, but knowing that I wanted that no matter what. But I also knew that I would get in trouble. So I became very, very crafty about um, hiding my, my transgressions, I guess. Um, anyway, as time went on, I didn't really have a, a big problem with weight. Um, I went to parochial schools, and we wore uniforms. And the thing that I remember was the girls... The pretty girls, anyway, seemed to, their uniform pleats would lie flat on them. And on me, they would just kind of puff out a little bit. You know, it would just kind of go out a little bit. So I, And I was kind of short-waisted, so things didn't look quite as good in me as the other girls. And I just always felt a little bit different. We were poor, so our, I had to get second-hand uniforms that came either from my sisters or from, you know, another, someone who graduated a year or was a year ahead of me or two had outgrown it. And so... I never had the crispy new look ever, and um, so I always the normal girl was was here or the normal pretty girl was here, and I was just a little bit different, just a little bit different. Um, the one saving grace was that I was really good at sports because my brother was three years older than me, and and in order for me to uh, be able to play with them, as I had to be the one who had to go run after the baseball, then I could get my ups on batting, you know, <laughs> um, or I would be the one that they would, you know the third one that they had to use for playing horses basketball or something. And so I got to, to do this uh, as a um, kind of an afterthought, but it, it really gave me that strength. That one thing of going through school is that I felt good about myself because academically I was so lost and never learned how to ask for help. I didn't know that you could get help. I just thought I was fundamentally dumb and stupid and that everybody else in the class who would come with their posters all done or, you know, I remember people with maps on onion skin paper and we, we were poor. We, we used, you know, whatever was there. And um, we certainly would never go spend a dime to get a poster board. Um, it was what was there and mom and dad, they did the best that they could with what they had, but I was just always different. And so what I found was coming home from school and from that feeling of of just being so lost and so terrified that I would be called at the front of the room to do a, a, a problem on the on the board or asked to explain something, because um, I would stand there and just, you know, smile and nod my head like I knew exactly what was going on. So all that, that stress and pressure, and plus the stress and pressure of never doing homework, because I never came home and said I had Homer. <laughs> I wanted to go out and play. Um, that when I got home from school is that I went for the food. Mom usually had something there for us to eat. And if not, I knew right where the, you know, the bins were, that, where the, the day-old bakery stuff was in, and um, any type of food. That's what I was looking for. And it was comfort. Um, I remember someone describing to me, um, someone who had come off of uh, using hard drugs and they said what it was like when they had denied themselves the drugs and they finally took it was it was like stepping into 
uh, from the cold air into a nice hot hot tub. And that's exactly what food does for me. It's it's like that tension of of dieting or can't have it or, you know, there's not enough or whatever, and then finally getting it. And when I would put, ingest it, put it into my body, it was like this, ah, you know, that, that great feeling. Well, that worked for a while, but when it finally caught up to me um, later on in life, it was like that, that was no longer that aha. It did not last. It was gone. And the misery just replaced it and the shame and the disgust with myself and the guilt and the, the hiding and the um, oh, blaming, everything just all would come crashing down on me. Um, later, in, let's see, into my school career, you know, you get between fifth and sixth grade when the other girls are developing, I was a late bloomer. And so I'm still having pigtails and they're, you know, off looking at the boys and I that was the farthest thing from my mind. So that I wasn't a part of that that crowd, I wanted to be. So I would tag along. So I became a tag along and um, someone who wasn't not necessarily wanted uh, to be tagged along by. Um, that was also my brother when I was little um, because I didn't have any playmates. Mom didn't really bring anybody over for me to play. And so I either had the two girls in the neighborhood, which weren't available that often, or I had my brother that was three years older. And um, he would always he and the neighborhood boy would play, uh, let's ditch Martha, <laughs> let's ditch her. And um, so I always had that feeling of having to, you know, run after for the fun and then just the misery and the, the not belonging was, was really, really sad. And then coming home crying and mom, you know, giving me something to eat. And that's where my comfort came. I remember we had an earthquake once there in Northern California, <laughs> and that was a little girl, and I remember the house shaking. We had an old Berkeley house, and the house was just shaking, and uh, I remember my sister and I were there, and, and Mom bringing us food uh, to comfort us, and, and that's where she said, oh, everything's going to be fine, whatever, and we go ahead and eat something. And So guess what, you know, today in my, in my adult life, as I grew up, that no matter what would happen, food was always my answer. It was always my comfort, and it did help me through periods of time of where, because I never learned how to go to any adult for help. I never really had close friends that I could go for help. Um, I, I was just, I don't know, food was my best friend. It was totally my best friend, and um, it never let me down. It was always available, and if it wasn't in the form that I wanted, I could go concoct it. I could go make it. I could take something that wasn't meant to be that way and somehow add sugar to it or, you know, slather it with something else, and, and it would it would suffice that for me. Um, when I got uh, into high school, I was just, just pretty darn socially inept. I had a few really close friends in high school, but it was mostly for me to complain to or them to complain to, and um, I saw other girls that were just, really having fun and dating and doing stuff. And I was just, um, I don't know, I was pretty ugly, I think. I had no help with um, ever having a professional haircut or any, um, just really help with my appearance. My older brothers and sisters had either married or gone off. And um, I was just kind of doing it all on my own. And, and my mother was by then was older. I mean, she was, gosh, I guess as old as, old as I am now. She's like 58. <laughs> and here I was trying to do life, you know, in high school by myself. And um, it was it was really, really miserable. Um, There's a lot of sadness around that for me. Um, having to do life on my own. And, um, 
I'm just today learning at my age, <laughs> learning how to ask for help, um, probably for the first time in my life, and to genuinely be asking for help um, and getting it. <laughs> and uh, so breaking the code for me for learning the language of how, how to ask for help. Um, let's see. I went off to college, and to me, going to college was like a whole new start. I went in my relatively close to me, um, lived at home, and uh, but my mom gave me a lot more freedom because I was in college, so I, I went off. And um, I don't know, something just happened there, is that it was a whole new group of people. They didn't know my past. They didn't know me. Um, by then, um, I had had a little help with fixing my hair and um, learned to wear a little bit of makeup. Um, my clothes were a little bit, you know, more up-to-date or more attractive, I should say. And so I, I was like this whole new identity. I got this whole new life. And um, in college, I, I, you know, I really did have a good time. But then I learned how to be an overdoer because I saw that what people liked was when, you know, I did a lot. So I became president of the sorority. I became secretary of the student body. And then I became president of the student body. And I became president of the interfraternal council. And a lot of these were all at the same time. And it was like, you know, well, the gosh, they like me for this. I like this. And so... I became a busyness addict at the same time, and um, food, I had grown a lot between, stepping back a little bit, between seventh and eighth grade, I went from one of the shortest in my class to one of the tallest, and I'm, you know, close to 5'9 right now, and um, so I, I, I got tall and thin like a, a string bean, and um, it was, it just felt really good, and I didn't really have weight problems during high school. And in college, when weight started to come on a little tiny bit, is that I could diet or just cut out this one thing that they had at the snack bar, and the weight came off, and I was fine. It wasn't until, um, let's see, I got married young. Well, by the standards today, it was young, but um, I was close to 21 when I first got married, uh, yeah, and close to 22 when our first baby was born, and I had three boys really close in age together. And boom, 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 by the time I had 25, I was 25, I had three little guys. And I think it was after the second one was born that I noticed that that weight didn't come off as quickly as it did with the first one. And uh, lo and behold, in a short period of time, I was pregnant with the third. And um, for sure, that weight was really difficult in coming off. And so that was when I started beginning to notice um, diets that were coming out. Uh, the first Atkins diet came out in 1975, and man, that worked for me, you know, because it was protein and protein and protein <laughs> and some fat in there and um, very little carbohydrate, and my body liked that, and I lost the weight really quickly. Well, it's really a dangerous thing, and they, um, there was a lot of, um, you know, kidney problems going around with people. I didn't care. I had lost the weight. That's all I cared about. Um, that was also the time that I started looking into other diets, Scarsdale diet, um, anything that would come along, I was going to try it. Um, so then I would diet and it would work. And then I would go back to eating the normal way of eating. And sure enough, within time, that weight started coming back. So the seesaw started going. The yo-yo dieting started started for me then. And it was okay because it worked. You know, I'd gain it and then I'd lose it. And then I'd gain it and then I'd lose it. Slow but sure, the, the gaining started going a little bit higher. And the losing went a little bit higher too. <laughs> and so pretty much the scale kept going up and up and up. And the, the diets that I had tried before, the Scarsdale didn't work anymore because I couldn't even stand to look at that, was on that menu one more time. If I saw another grapefruit and egg, I would 
get sick. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was just like all of that stuff that worked before mm-hmm. didn't work. So then I started turning to anything. If I saw someone who had lost any amount of weight at all, I was there asking them, what did you do? How did you do it? You know, whatever. And the old Cambridge diet came out with powder, liquid, or powder you made into a liquid and it was a meal replacement. Um, this was, you know, years and years ago. And you had paid for that. You know, someone, a distributor would come and give you that. And it was the only way to get it. And it was like, okay, where do I get it? And who do I, you know, I'm knocking on their door. I understand you have this. And, you know, paying out money for that. Um, Nutrisystem came along. That was the first real diet club thing that came. And um, boy, I was right there. Sign me up. That's what I want. And, you know, paying out money that we really didn't have as a, as a family. Um, let's see, stepping back a little bit. That first marriage, there were problems in that. When I look back on that today, as I see my part in, in all of that, and um, to see how I ate through that and blame, and, you know, my big part of my story is resentment. Um, I'm not the one that has hurt anybody, don't you know? I'm just this little angel, and I haven't done anything. And look at all these people who have done all these things to me, because I, I'm not one who screams and yells or lies or, steets or cheats or steals or anything like that. Ha ha. Um, that's really how I viewed myself, but that the world was doing things to me. And my m- best way to comfort myself because of this horrible world that I lived in and these ha- people that happened to be put into my life was that I got to eat, you know, and again, it was back to that the childhood feeling of that was the feeling of relief. That food was always there. I could depend on it. It's there 24 hours a day. Um, whenever I felt any feeling, I could go back to that. Um, so anyway, that marriage ended when the boys were quite little and um, I actually went through a couple of years of marriage and family counseling my first husband and I went for the first few weeks, and uh, pretty soon he decided, no, that isn't, you know, I don't have a problem, or not, it's not for me. And I continued on for two years and cried every single week because it was the first time that I ever had the uh, anybody listening to me and me able to just trust and tell everything that was going on inside me. And um, a lot of that was in a lot of silence. I would sit there in silence because I was so blocked inside that there was nothing I didn't know what to talk about or what to say or how to say it, and I would sit there, and then um, all of a sudden something would just pop into my mind or something. I would start talking about something, usually in the last five minutes, as they always say in any type of counseling, and just the tears would just, and the sobs would just come because it, I was so locked up. Um, anyway, in, in that period of time, it was like, well, the best thing to do here is to get out of that marriage. Obviously, that's the problem, and, um, you know, God bless him. Um, he did have problems. I had problems. We both had problems. And, uh, you know, today, thank God, that's not my solution is to run away from stuff. Um, you know, in the, I guess in the, the world, there is reaction to trouble. It's a fight or flight. Well, I'm the flight one. <laughs> and I may not be running off screaming with my hands flailing in the air, but I will be the one to slowly be um, nodding at you, you know, agreeing or whatever, and slowly stepping back. And, you know, someone turns their head the other way and they go, where'd she go? Um, just kind of disappear. I hate confrontation. I hate conflict, and it's like I would would um, avoid it at all costs. I'm a people pleaser. You know, do you like me? Do you like me now? How about now? Is am I okay now? Am I okay now? Um, what would you like me to do? How can I do it? Can I do it faster, slower, whatever? So, 
actually FA worked very well for me when I came in <laughs> because I was so broken when I came in here that I did say, okay, what do I do now? How do I do it? How high do I jump? Is this high enough? And uh, thank God I was willing. I was broken down so much that, that I was really willing to do that. Um, let's see. What? Oh, that I, second best part of my story, too, um, is that I was a single mom with these three little guys for a few years and um, met this wonderful man and we remarried, I remarried and um, it was probably what I could call, oh my gosh, the marriage from hell for three years. It was just horrible. We were just really, I really had a problem in that because I was expecting to, you know, take off from where we were and, you know, here we have two individuals coming into this and, uh, you know, I really learned how to, to give and take a little bit more. He did too and we just, stuck together and um, walk through it and this was all without program this was all without anything and uh, I guess it's by the grace of God that that it, that that all worked out and um, out of that marriage we had three beautiful daughters and uh, so grateful for that today um, and all the way through the whole process of that I just love my my children I got to have six beautiful children and today I have uh, nine beautiful grandchildren so um, anyway going through that period and always when I had the kids it was amazing um, talking about the shopping cart and putting three kids in one shopping cart and the, going through the aisles dragging another shopping cart where I was putting the goodies and the kids would say oh I want that I want that and oh okay I'll get that for you knowing clear well that I was the keeper of the cabinet that I was the keeper of the food and whatever and we'll open up the bags now to keep you quiet and I'm the one eating as we're going around the store I always paid for it but you know we, we were eating because it was like give me this right now I want it right now and um Anyway, the, the whole thing of the, of the shopping cart, it was like freedom. Um, I had money that I could spend. I had a grocery allotment, and I was making the choices, and I could choose whatever I wanted. And it was, um, it was truly freedom around the food for me again, and those, those, the great time of where I didn't have to babysit for 50 cents an hour to get money as a teenager to go buy that bakery item or whatever. Uh, this was total decision on my part. Um, what I could buy and when I could buy it. Um, all of that in time got me up to slowly up to 150 pounds, 155 pounds, 160, 165, and all this time dieting back down, using Weight Watchers, using the other 12-step programs, using I had my irises red, the irises of my eyes red to see what it was lacking in my body, you know, and spending money, taking you know hands full of vitamins that were promised to to help me with my situation, um, going to doctors, um, exercise bulimia, and renting exercise equipment going and spending money that we didn't have at a rental place to buy these things that would fat, you know, beat the fat off of me. Um, using a, a rolling pin, I have it in my drawer, and every day I would do it for 20 minutes, you know, a rolling pin on my stomach and my thighs, and, you know, just trying to get the fat off, trying to roll it off. Um, running around the neighborhood um, in the, at 10 o'clock at night because I was too embarrassed to, 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 to in the day, and with a flashlight, I always thought, I wonder, I didn't, never got arrested for <laughs> who this prowler was running around the neighborhood with a flashlight. Um, oh gosh, all of the the miserable stuff that I did. Wrapping myself in saran wrap, I heard that too. You could sweat your sweat it off. Um, you know, wearing ankle weights and wrist weights 
as I went about my day, just again trying to, to do anything to get this off, um, doing exercise programs, joining gyms. Um, again, tremendous amount of money spent there where you sign the contract for two years and it's, you know, it's only so much a month and, you know, going for maybe six weeks and never, they never saw me again. They, they always made money on this one because I was sure every time I started any of this stuff, I was positive that this was going to be the answer. And I was so convicted and I was so excited and I would make the weight chart and up here would be the weight I am now and down here is the weight I'm going to be and, and I would draw a line from here to there and I, the little squares I would put the weight all the way down and, and you know, by probably week two at the most it was like crumpled up, you know, in the corner or put a, put away. Whatever it was, it was just nothing ever worked for any amount of time. It was a an obsession with trying to get the weight off, but never following through with anything. I could not do it. I did um, mind control um, seminars and anything that was motivation seminars. Um, I was in sales, so I would use that as, okay, I'm going to motivate myself to do this, and I'm going to motivate, and I would get motivated. And you know, again, that would fizzle down because this was a physical addiction. I had no idea that this was a physical malady that I could not overcome. I could not overcome it on my own. And all of the, the books and the friends that worked for and all the other, you know, accolades that all of these companies would come and say, yeah, they worked for a lot of people but not for me because this was something more than just me. This was something physiological that happened to me when I put a little bit of sugar or flour in my body is that something, some trigger was, was switched and I was off to the races. And it was like, don't you dare get between me and that food. And if anybody would comment on what I was eating, you know, I was just, this rage would just come up inside me and I would not express it. I would just go eat more. <laughs> um, yeah, just this anger all around that. And then after I'd eaten it, or if I had to go to a party or a wedding or a reunion, the shame and the guilt and the remorse about the size of my body. Um, I went clear up to a size 2X at 210 pounds or higher, however, that high, what the highest weight was, um, and full of shame. And there were friends that I hadn't seen for a long time and um, after I joined FA and they had seen me two or three years in a row that, that uh, they said, you know, I always used to wonder what size is Marty going to be this year because it was always different depending on where I was in my diet cycle. Um, and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I kept thinking no one else really noticed. No one else really noticed, but truly, truly they did. Um, let's see. I talked about my three daughters. Um, the miracle of it is that I remember talking to my sister and saying, I've got these three little girls and here I'm going out and exercising at 5.30 in the morning. I'm going to the gym. That's a really good role model for, for them. Isn't that great? And here I was 210 going out there and thinking that this was doing them a really good thing. Well, the same role model here was, you know, pulling out the snack stuff and eating it right along with them when they got home from school. This role model was, you know, not wanting to cook a meal for them because I had eaten you know, grazed my way through the day and certainly through the afternoon. And when it came to dinner time, the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, cut up vegetables or something fresh for them or cook something because, I don't know, it was just, I was like nauseous 
from from eating all day and um so off to the fast food we'd go and you know they had their it was always no I want to go here okay no I want to go there no we went there last night I want to go here and it was embarrassing um with the delivery boxes that uh, the food delivery boxes that filled my um garbage can at the end of the week you know people would I guess alcoholics are embarrassed by the you know, the beer bottles or whatever <laughs> I was embarrassed by the pizza boxes um yeah really um that's how I fed my family, unless I was dieting. And when I was dieting, you know, that the, the food fog was gone. And so I was more apt to, um, you know, be fixing them what I was be fixing. So they were always confused. And, of course, they weren't necessarily wanting to eat the vegetables that I was fixing at that moment. So then I was, like, mad because I had spent all this time making this Weight Watcher recipe thing that took forever and was complicated and here I put it before them and they all you know snub their nose at it <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was just really frustrating time for me and the, the miracle of this this whole thing was um, you know being so downtrodden being in another 12-step program and having a sponsor and committing my food every day and lying through my teeth uh, because I didn't want her to drop me but lying because I, I, I just, where else was I going to go? And committing that food, but, I mean, towards the end, it was like, you know, the, the frozen store stuff, you know, I figured that was a cup of that. That was equal to, a, you know, a regular protein. I mean, that's, that's how sick I got, that, that that was okay. That was okay. And um, I just can fool myself so, so easily. And um, a relative had been coming to that same other program with me and suddenly I, uh, I saw, started to see a, a difference in her and I said what are you doing or whatever and then she kind of told me a little bit about it and I just in my mind I mean no there's no way <laughs> that's crazy and plus I had to drive there was no meetings out our way at all in the East Bay of, of the San Francisco Bay Area and there was just no way that I was going to drive an hour to go to get to over there. And so I'll just do what I'm doing and kind of hear what she's doing. And, you know, I'll just do mine better. Well, of course, I was still, you know, lying, cheating and <laughs> my way through that. And it finally hit me that when I was so broken, when I, I got on that scale again, when those clothes didn't fit me, when I had to go put on a pair of my husband's pants with a long shirt over it to go to a party because I had nothing that would fit me. Um, when that finally hit, and I think that's finally when I called and said, okay, where, where is this? Um, maybe I'll just check it out and, and going there, there, um, and seeing this recovery that we have here. Walking into a room of, of, there were only about eight or nine people in that San Francisco meeting back when I started in 1998. And, uh, but seeing happy faces and hearing people, um, say that they were a certain weight not that long ago and and others saying yeah I'm this weight now but I was this weight and I'm on my way down and passing pictures around and just hearing stories of what I heard of what my misery was um, just absolutely changed my life just to sit there and hear that it gave me a little tiny glimmer of hope is what it gave me there was hope that maybe there was a chance for even me it was like I was the hopeless one. I was the one that nobody could could ever help. There's no way. And uh, but I heard something, and I said, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to I'm going to get a sponsor today, and I'll just see if anybody's available. And uh, somebody just stood up to say they could get someone started. And 
I had to work for it because there were no sponsors out there at all. And, and so they would kind of pass, gave me names to call and pass me some names and say, well, try this person. No, no, I'm not available, but try this person. And I ended up having to call New York for the first year. And that was really strange to me. You want me to call someone in New York and say, hi, I'm Marty, and, you know, I, I'm a food addict, and, you know, and, and talk to these strangers. And she would give me numbers back there to call strangers. It's like calling, you know, we used to call out of the phone book and, uh, call and hang up. And that's kind of what it felt like, calling these strangers and saying, you know, uh, hi, I'm Marty. And uh, it just was amazing how welcoming, even on the phone lines, that everybody was and that there was instant understanding. And um, truly, truly amazing. I'm stepping back a little bit. We're on, um, getting ready to go in a couple of weeks to our family camp that we go to every year. And this is where all six of my children and their kids and wives and whatever come, as well as my all of my siblings. I'm the, the youngest of six myself, and so all of most of them all come and their families. So all the cousins and everybody get together for this camping trip every year, and um, just memories of that time of of it was about the food. They had a snack bar there, and uh, we used to run up a bill of you know two hundred and fifty dollars in the snack bar for the week, and um, it was such a great place for me to hide because I would, you know, the kids are doing it all, you know, and but it was me going in there and getting stuff and putting it in pockets and hiding it and sneaking it and um, pretending that the one thing that I got for rest time after lunch was the one thing I was getting. But the truth was, is I was getting more and hoping none of the kids would see me because they, mommy, mommy, can I get one? Can I get one? And um, you know, it's like I no, I don't want to spend the money on them. You know, I want it on me. And that that whole selfish selfish part and bringing food for you know the kids and bringing food for the the parties that we would have or people coming into our tent to um, that we would have there and that first year in FA I was shocked the snack bar bill was about half the amount and we came home with box and boxes full of food that was not eaten. So that's how much that I was going through and eating and not even knowing it, just totally not aware. Because I wasn't really a big, huge, you know, large quantity binger at a sitting. I was one that just kind of ate all day long, just grazed, just a cow on the field. That was me, just, <laughs> just uh, graze, graze, graze. And a lot of those things just today just continue to shock me. And um, um, what I have today is pretty darn phenomenal. Um, number one, you know, I cannot believe a day at a time has gone by and over eight years have, have gone by in this program. And this body, I still get to be the same body. I still get to see that those friends from out of state. And, you know, sometimes I still get the comment, even eight years later, you're still the same size. <laughs> Shock. Um, so I get to have, I get to be in this body. This body is healthier what I had before, the misery of, um, I had rosacea, which is the redness all around my nose and mouth and face, and um, that was really caused by the food that I was eating, um, not even to mention of my big arms and, and big legs and you know, thighs that, that scraped together, and um, my joints were hurting. My hips, when I slept at night, were painful. My knees hurt. Um, I had, um, I called it a trick knee, <laughs> um, thinking it was about a, um, a skiing accident long ago. But it was, it was truly the fat, you know, the fat grinding down on those. I carried in um, our suitcase. I was talking about this the other day, carrying in our suitcase from the car just uh, coming here. And 
when I waited at home because I didn't want to go over 50 pounds, I waited and it was 45 pounds and and swinging that thing up and onto the car, it's like, oh my gosh, the thing's so heavy. And I, suddenly I realized that I was practically two of those suitcases that I was carrying 24-7 every day, sleeping with those suitcases. No wonder my hips hurt, you know, on the bed. Um, getting up in the morning and having to take a second to, to get my body awake so that I put that weight on all of those joints because I was like hobbling like, you know, a 90-year-old woman. Um, it was just such pain in that. I had um, just infections all the time. I was into the doctor a lot. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of maladies that were happening. And uh, you know, we pay our insurance premium today and they're making the money because I'm just not in there other than for, you know, health checks, you know, really taking care of my body today. Um, it's pr- pretty darn phenomenal that I, that I get to have this, this, this body. I get to... Uh, squat down and roll around and go down slides with my grandbabies, um, swing them around, throw them in the air. You know, uh, this is not what I pictured a 58-year-old grandma to look like or to be like. And uh, thank God, I, I feel younger today than I did in my 30s and, and even in my 20s. I, I just I just feel tremendous. And um, the relationship with my husband, it's, I just, I always talk about that because it's, it's, uh, it truly is a miraculous thing. Um, he's always been a good man. It's just that I, I don't know, I've just been one who blamed my mom, blamed my husband, blamed the, the girls in sixth grade, blamed, you know, whoever it was for all the misery in my life. And I could tell you the story and then you would agree with me and, you know, where would I be? I would still be in the self-pity pot. And um, I just thank God for the sponsors that, that, you know, has turned it around to, you know, you know, what's your part? <laughs> what's your part? Hmm, sounds like you're being self-pity. And, of course, I would get madder than anything. In the, <laughs> and inside, you know, the hair on the back of my neck would stand up. But it was like I st- slowly began to hear this and slowly began to um, start to see what his needs were and start to, to be the wife that I always wanted to be, that I saw other, you know, couples that were really happy and see the wife that was that was really being a loving and caring, giving wife. And, and when I started to practice that just a little at a time, um, you know, just miracles started happening. When I, you know, put down the food is that I began to pick up something different. I began to pick up a, a spirituality. Um, you know, I started, I remember heard that the first time I heard it. I thought, oh, my gosh, let me out of here. And then someone said, I've got a God in my life today. And the truth is that I do, and I know that I always have. It's just that I have not been looking in that direction. And uh, um, that spirituality today is the most uh, important thing that is. That connection is where I start. And uh, when I start having trouble, that's where I go to first. And I'm so, so, so grateful for that. Um, let's see. <sighs> Other good things. Again, that with the grandkids, I just had uh, twin three-and-a-half-year-olds with me uh, while their mom and dad were away. And they were with us for ten days. And I'll tell you, I, I just... I didn't have a grandma. Um, my grandma died before I was born, and one of my grandfathers died before I was born. And I had one grandpa that was a little bit had a little bit of dementia that was with us till I was about four years old, and I don't remember a lot about him. And another grandma that lived oh, 12 hours away from us, and so we I saw her maybe three times, four times in my entire life. And so I never really had anybody that I felt that I was special to. Anyone um, really never felt that real precious to anybody and um, I get to be that today for my grandbabies is that I really get to be the grandma 
that I always wanted to have. And uh, these two little three-year-olds that could, you know, barely talk or whatever, but they, they're, they were just so much joy and fun for me. And because I'm abstinent, because I'm eating this way, and I'm eating healthy food, I'm not feeding them junk food. I'm feeding them what I'm eating, and that's pretty much what their parents are feeding them. And um, when they were in their little seats in the, the car, their mom and dad was there waving goodbye, and, um, you know, one, one little one says, Thank you, Grandma. I love you. And the other one says, Thank you, Grandma, for being so kind. This is a three-and-a-half-year-old. And I'll tell you, it's just, wow. Um, I am a controller and, a, um, and one who, who wants things just right and a, uh, more of a caretaker, I think, to my own kids than being the kind of mom that I really, really want to be. And today I get to to be the mom that I want to be, number one, to my kids, but also to be the grandma that I always want to be and, and wanted to, to be and to, to have myself. So, I mean, that is a, something that I'm really, really very, very much grateful for. I'm grateful for learning how to um, deal with the clutter in my life. This is not what I came in here for, <laughs> but I have a problem with clutter. I have a problem with keeping um, too busy of a schedule. I have a problem with... Um, hoarding things because I think I'm not going to get enough of or something's going to happen and I need to have it. Um, so I'm learning how to to shed light on those things. Um, I've had friends that um, have brought that to my attention. And um, anyway, that, that has also come to, to light. And I'm totally, totally grateful for this recovery and um, the opportunity to speak with you here today. Thanks. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.